The Academic Podcast Agency. This is a monumental day for women in Ireland. This is about women taking their rightful place in Irish society, finally. I was confident that we were going to get a yes vote, but I didn't think it would be by this much. At this time of publication, it is still illegal to have an abortion in Northern Ireland. And in many countries around the world, abortion remains either completely outlawed or is subject to restrictive laws, often making the procedure illegal outside of very specific exceptions. A recent Gutmatcher Institute report states that only 4 in 10 women of reproductive age live in countries where abortion is permitted in all circumstances. And so despite the recent referendum in the Republic of Ireland, Varying national laws and public opinion continue to make this act a violently contested subject. Exactly how long Northern Ireland can continue with its present legislation is unknown, and despite being part of the UK, the fact that these laws still exist is testimony to the fact that many people are still greatly divided and in some cases confused as to whether the legal termination of a pregnancy can be understood as progress. So today is the 24th of May. Um, I'm about to get on a plane to go to Belfast and I want to try and understand what the Irish abortion referendum means for people living in Northern Ireland. And I want to find out what people in Belfast think about it. At the end of May 2018, the Republic of Ireland held a referendum to appeal a law which up until that time had effectively made abortion illegal. Voters chose by a clear majority to change this law and repeal the Eighth Amendment. But why does abortion continue to be such a controversial subject? By looking at how issues around the referendum affect the people of Northern Ireland, this episode of The Glass Beat Game is an inquiry into what abortion law means and how different groups navigate their way around them. The time through which we are now passing is of exceptional character. This is the Glass Bead Game. The Glass Bead Game. My dear friends, inform, investigate, and engage. Glassbeat Game producer B.B. Letts travelled to Belfast to experience the referendum firsthand, and I asked her to say a little more about her own position on the subject before she arrived. For me, the, the conversation the, about choice and agency is actually so much about trust, that this is not a decision that anyone makes flippantly. It's not an easy decision. And it's a decision which women themselves make all the time. Regardless of the laws, women have abortions because that's what they see as necessary. And I think we have to know that women know what's best for them, what their situation in life will allow. I also think that this is a conversation that men absolutely should be involved in but 
the weight that their opinions have, I think, needs to be significantly less than women. I don't feel that feminism have gone too far, but I know that that is how a lot of people feel, that that sort of thinking often belies men feeling they have an equal say in, in matters which affect women more than men. But at the same time, I think as difficult as it must be having no choice about a pregnancy that you're part of creating and your future children, I think that pales in comparison to a woman having no choice about her pregnancy, her future parenthood, her body, her life, you know, the trajectory of her life. It's a difficult position for a man to talk about abortion, even though when you, when you think about abortion, there are two things that are involved, and that's politics and that's gender. Uh, my name is Ben Kashtan, and I am a research fellow in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Sussex. I have the, the pleasure to teach um, on reproductive politics at another university twice a year, and I really enjoy it. It's a really important topic to discuss, yet the shame is, in all the times I've done it, there's never been a single male in the room, and it's deeply concerning because there's, there's so much a part of the debate. So you're saying you teach the subject of reproductive politics and not a single male is interested in taking that class? Well, whether you say interested, I don't know if it's interested, if they're not interested in taking the class. It's an elective class. Um, they don't ha you know, people choose to take the class. But I think in general, there is a misconception that this issue falls out of the male domain. You might actually call that a symptom or a reflection of male privilege. Um, but in my experience, I haven't had a male student in those classes ever. Wow. So for those people listening that won't be sure what um, reproductive politics actually means, are you able to give a very short <clears throat> statement? A about short it? and snappy <laughs> statement. Well, when you talk about reproductive politics, I think a simple definition is how sexual and reproductive health and sexual and reproductive lives are incredibly political and politicized. And we can take abortion as one example, that abortion care is not treated in the same way as other medical procedures. And it's criminalized in a way that other medical procedures are not. And that's political. And that politics is deeply entrenched in all sorts of issues, issues ranging from moral expectations of women and women's behavior and women's bodies to academic debates, you might say, or social and political constructions of what the fetus is. When does life begin? So all of this is, in, is involved in the kind of politics of, of reproduction. And, it's, and, and abortion is one example, but it extends to all areas, uh, family planning, childbirth, antenatal. These issues are entrenched in all areas of, of reproduction and almost always target women and women's bodies in a way that men are not held to. 
On arrival, Bibi spoke to a random sample of people living in Belfast. How do you understand the difference between abortion laws in Northern Ireland and in the, the rest of the UK? Uh, well, they're far stricter here. I think it's only allowed here in the case of um, fatal fetal abnormality and possibly, I think, rape and incest, but I'm not sure. Well, abortion here is illegal, for a start, and over there it's not. Um, and that's all the thing I really know about it. Like, mm-hmm. I just know it's illegal, one's illegal, one's not, and you have to leave here to go there, for medical conditions around like that there. Yeah. How do you understand the difference between the abortion laws in Northern Ireland and in the UK? Um, well, Northern Ireland, you can't have an abortion now, but like 10 years ago you couldn't. Like, there was no abortion whatsoever. I would have had to go to England. But now there is an abortion clinic in Belfast. There is. And you can, I, think, I think you can get it up to like 10 weeks or something. It's not like UK law where you can have it up to 15 weeks or something like that. What is the situation in the Republic of Ireland, Southern Ireland? How does it differ from Northern Ireland? If you were a woman that wanted or needed an abortion in either of those places... Well, much of the controversy uh, in the Republic of Ireland centers around um, what is Article 40.3.3 inserted into the Irish Constitution by its Eighth Amendment. What that formalizes is how the state acknowledges the right to life of the unborn with due regard to the equal right to life of the mother. Abortion is permitted only under certain conditions when, for example, a doctor uh, considers a woman to be at risk of taking her own life or if continuing that pregnancy would put her life at risk. But that really depends on the interpretation of the doctor. Um, It's not not by any means black or white. Um, That doesn't include when pregnancies, for example, are non-viable, or fatal fetal abnormality. And it doesn't include if a woman was raped. And in those situations, if, if a woman in the Republic of Ireland could not travel, she would be forced to continue that pregnancy. And that's a complete injustice. And in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland is is different. It's part of the UK. So in Northern Ireland, the current abortion laws are really rooted in the 1861 Offences Against the Person Act, uh, which is a Victorian law. In England, you have the 1967 Abortion Act, um, which legally permits abortion under certain conditions with the permission of two doctors, for instance. Um, That does not apply to Northern Ireland. Um, So a woman in England can access abortion with, you know, meeting this criteria or with with the consent of two physicians, yet a woman in Northern Ireland cannot. But we're in the same country. So what are the options open to a woman um, seeking an abortion in Northern Ireland? Well, if uh, you're a woman living in Northern Ireland um, and you... Um, there are a couple of exemptions. For instance, it's permitted if there's a, a serious risk to mental or, or physical uh, health of a woman in Northern Ireland. But if you want an abortion on grounds of choice alone or if you were raped or if it's a fatal fetal abnormality, um, then you would have to travel um, to Scotland or England. And there's been various um, moves to provide um, that service under the NHS. But one still has to travel from Northern Ireland, and one still has to travel. And, you know, abortion can be a difficult decision to make. It's not always a decision that's made 
easily or lightly, it, it can be difficult for individual women on an individual basis. So to travel away from the comfort, the familiarity of your home context to a place that you don't know, to service providers that may be different, why, why in 2017 are we putting women through this? Like, why? I see, I see no, no kind of logic or, or humanity. Would you have a moment to talk about the referendum tomorrow? I just have a few questions, and I, I know it's not here that you're voting, but yeah. do you think abortion should be foremost a health issue, a legal issue, or a human rights issue? Uh, I think it would be a human rights issue. In what way? I think a woman should probably decide what she does with her body. Do you think abortion should be foremost a health issue, a legal issue, or a human rights issue? Human rights issue. Do you think abortion should be understood foremost as a legal issue, a health issue, or a human rights issue? Human rights. Why is that? I think it's up to a woman to decide what she does with her own body. It's a female issue, not a male issue. Do you think abortion should be foremost a health issue, a legal issue, or a human rights issue? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I would like, uh, you have to walk in those people's shoes to see. And I do believe in the right of the unborn child. Okay. You know, and I do think that maybe in time that disabled people, just because they would be aborted because they were disabled, and some of them are very clever people and have as much right to live as me. You know, these ideas of choice, freedom and rights are connected and they're really situated within modern liberal thought where choice signifies freedom. My name is Maya Onithan and I'm an anthropologist based at the University of Sussex. The, the idea of choice, it's always good, you know, that you have the right to choose, but you cannot think about choice without thinking about the enabling conditions. Choice is linked to individualism, um, because there is an assumption that choices are made freely and individually. Thinking about individual decision-making in connection with whether it's economic, whether it's, you know, in terms of access to information, whether it's in terms of, you know, restraints against gender ideologies, whether it's in terms of uh, restraints of the law, whether it's in terms of restraints of religion, they can become barriers rather than enabling conditions. So choice has to really be situated within this broader context the way these individuals are linked to their key social relationships. So people who, who influence them, um, people who are they, they're intimate with, people who matter. So this idea of abortion or the ability to have or even from a state point of view to provide um, abortions, to what extent is this or, or should it be thought of as a human right? So let's, let's think about... Um, you know, the the ways in which um, abortion is, as you say, connected with the notion of rights and reproductive choice, and actually why, in connection with that, it's also highly contested practice. It brings together two kinds of, of rights. Yes, one is the right of the mother, the right of the mother to choose, you know, whether to go on with the pregnancy or whether to abort. But it also is about the right of the child. And increasingly, we are seeing, you know, over the last um, 15, 20 years, a lot of work around children's rights. 
in that instance, you're talking about the right of the unborn fetus. Yes, yes. So it, in a sense, you know, you have these these two kinds of these two kinds of rights that are promoted in 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 the law here in in legal practice, or these are recognized, you know, as 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 different kinds of rights. For example, the position that abortion is homicide that is, it, it is actually murder, is linked to another set of issues which is about fetal viability and, and, you know, and fetal personhood. At what stage is the fetus considered a person? Because, you know, you know for homicide, you are murdering, you're murdering a person, you're murdering an, an, a human being. And, and so this then it becomes really important in thinking about um, abortion in, in sort of particular ways. The day before the referendum, Bibi travelled the one and a half hour journey south of the border to Drogheda with the group Alliance for Choice to help canvas for the yes vote. Alliance for Choice are a pro-choice charity from Northern Ireland who have campaigned for many years for the right to legal and safe state-sanctioned abortions. To protect the identity of those whose doors they knocked on, we have refrained from sharing these responses from the public. Hello. Hello. Have you been out to vote today? Yeah. Would you like a, would you like a sticker? Or, no? Oh, thank Thanks you very much. I think there was quite a lot of misinformation about what the law meant and also about canvassing being legal as long as it's further than 50 metres of a polling station. So we got a few coming and telling us what we were doing wasn't allowed or taking photos of us. So at one point, um, especially when we're out canvassing, there are a few kids who shouted... Uh, baby killer at us and I think they also threw some stones which I suppose I wasn't really expecting but I can see that if that's how you view uh, pregnancy and abortion then it's quite difficult to get beyond that and have any other sort of conversation about healthcare or about sort of um, complexities if you're just seeing abortion as as murder you, you can't there's there's no way you can really go from there I think what I realise is that the only way to sort of have a conversation is to reframe the debate um, and to say, well, women have abortions whether or not it's legal. Um, the only difference that the law makes is whether or not they're safe. When we had the Mari Stopes clinic in Belfast, which is closed down, like the pro-life lobby used to like just surround it and shame anyone they used to have like pictures of fetuses and the same kind of shit that's on all the posters but they would just form a ring around any woman walking into the clinic and just be like you're a murderer you're a murderer so if we had to do this in Belfast oh like, you like they you yeah get, yeah yeah you would get you would probably get attacked yeah are we regressing on this subject it's a difficult question um what I 
what I think we really need to ask ourselves is when we we have all the all the knowledge to know that restrictive abortion laws only make the practice more unsafe and only put women at risk, why do we still have restrictive abortion laws? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. We know what the implications are. We know that, as the World Health Organization um, estimate, up to 50,000 women per year will die from the complications arising from unsafe abortions. We know that. So why are we not acting on that? Um, and that is, and that's what comes back to this issue of reproductive politics, because reproduction and women's bodies are so politicized, and it's it's that political web, that political constraint that is killing these women. We know, we know, we know the causes of, of, of those mortalities um, and, it, and it's politics. What are your hopes or fears for a future of this, of this conversation? In the, Nor- in the case of Northern Ireland, you know, of course, I would wish for... Um, I mean, I, I can't imagine that you would need a referendum in the same way for Northern Ireland. I think that could be brought through an act of parliament. Um, but I don't know. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of of that. Um, but basically, I would really, really like to see uh, much needed reform uh, in in Northern Ireland that is consistent uh, with with England, Scotland, and Wales. Um, and in all of these cases, I think we need to see abortion taken out of the criminal code um, and made as accessible as woman centred um, and comfortable. For women, I don't think there's any other way to to look at it. Maya Unitan again. Yes, I think here we're seeing some really serious, serious consequences of having legislation which restricts any kind of access to abortion services. You know, whether it's in Ireland or whether it's in, in the US or whether it's in India, that the moment you have this kind of restrictive law... Uh, the practice doesn't go away, it doesn't stop, it goes underground. And what happens then is that it becomes much more unsafe for uh, uh, for women to go to practitioners who, um, you know, may not have all the required sort of equipment or the standards of hygiene or whatever uh, to provide, you know, safe abortion, that, that we need this access to, to safe abortion, not just safe abortion, but also post-abortion care. What did I learn? I don't know, maybe that it really is possible to make a change. Those emotions were really running high, actually. There were quite a few times when um, someone would say, Oh, I just heard um, this mother and daughter walking away from the stand. And the daughter was saying, see, I told you we should have a choice over our bodies. We should have control over our bodies. And the mum was like, oh, all right, okay, let's go and vote yes then. And someone who came up to me and the person I was um, handing out stickers with said, you know what, I was no my whole life 
and just today I had my mind changed or I changed my mind and I voted yes and um, yeah everyone got quite emotional at that I think it is a lot more positive than I thought like I was surprised when I went out um, in Belfast the day before yesterday that I could only find one no voter um, how much love and solidarity and passion and hard hard work went into that yeah it'd be really great I guess one thing that I also was surprised at is that they said you know actually a lot of people said we wouldn't get such a friendly reception if we were up in Belfast and actually people are more progressive in the south I don't think I expected that but they said some people said that's often the way is that the the south leads the way and then the north eventually follows According to Full Fact, a UK independent fact-checking charity, 724 women living in Northern Ireland had an abortion in England or Wales in 2016. But exactly just how long Northern Ireland can resist pressure from its southern neighbour and the rest of the UK to change its legal position on abortion remains to be seen. Further information about all who featured in this episode can be found at www.theglassbeadgame.co.uk and whilst you're there, why not subscribe for free at the top of the site? Although this is the last episode of Season 1 for the Glass Bead Game podcast series, we do hope to be back at some point in the future with more episodes that critically explore some of the most important social phenomena of our time. So thank you for all those listeners that have been in contact about the issues covered over the last few months and years. Please stay in touch via all the usual social media, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And expect more from us here at the Glass Bead Game very soon. Your presenter for this episode has been Will Hood and the series producer is Rob Alexander. The episode producer was B.B. Letts and the Glass Bead Game has been brought to you by the School of Global Studies at the University of Sussex and is an Animal Monday production.